The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. No, it, it feels lonely. It does feel lonely and it feels like you have to continuously make the choice to stay true to this worldview. It's like a battle always sort of, you know, because everybody says, ah, oh, and you know, and, let's do something else. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does feel lonely. But also it's, uh, I can't let it go. Yeah. What was the last thing you said? I can't let it go. You can't compromise. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest. We fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. I can let you and me. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healed. And the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos. Good afternoon, Mr. Shaler. Good afternoon, Bambos Charles Dimitrio. Today we have Thomas Haider. No Thomas. one understands me. No one understands me. Thomas, Thomas is a, I, I, I mean, I don't use this word lightly. He's a genius. So what that means in my vernacular is he sees a world which he can envision and live in that doesn't exist for other people. But he sees that world and he can give it words. But since nobody can live in that world, no one understands that language because he created the world. So he is a philosopher. But as a philosopher, it's you understand what you're saying, but the world has a long time to catch up to you. Yeah. And that's really not an easy space to hold is when you understand in the, in, in, you know, he's created the context. So I, I, I do want to specify he creates a context of the world that he then creates tools for. And, and then he goes into the world and say, hey, look at, I've got this model, which makes sense of everything. And then if you look at it, it you can't make sense of it because the paradigm that you look at the world isn't the same as the paradigm he's looking through the world. And just to like, take another step clear, Thomas is his, the founder of one of, I would say today, one of the best known creative processes called chaos pilots. Hmm. And if you look at creative design processes, he was a founder of this, which is already a, a around the world. If you look for chaos pilots, you'll see this has been used to put creative understanding of how to reverse or to move through limiting ideas and beliefs, but do it in group settings. So he, he was the mastermind, I would say, behind that. And because he communicates in such uh, nuanced and what one would call complicated because they don't understand his way of speaking, I then chose a title, which I did not ask him if it was okay. And I said, it was no one understands me. 
And then, uh, and then uh, about uh, two hours before the show, I called him up and said, <laughs> Thomas, I didn't tell you I switched the title. And it's kind of personal to say no one understands me. So I just want to let you know I did that. And he says, Andy, I read the title. I hated it. And I've been trying to reconcile that feeling ever since, <laughs> ever since you put it up. <laughs> what, what happened? We don't make ge- our guests feel uncomfortable. I know. And then I told him, I'll change the title. Give me, give me a new one. We'll change it. And he said, no. And we had a big laugh and he appreciated me calling. But he said, so I think that's the lead up to the show. Okay. So, yeah. That was a strong beginning. That was beautiful. I had a great time. <laughs> wow. The, yeah, when you thanks. heard me, when you heard me speak, and now you understand the title of when I wrote. No one does it make sense to you now, or or, it, or? It, it, it does make sense. It does okay. make sense. What did you think when I wrote the title and that you were triggered by it? I, I, yeah. I what, what did what did you believe I meant when I wrote that title? I think I understood it because you had this these nice little sub sub text, or you had the exp- explainer beyond. But the problem is, and I don't know, as I said to you, in Denmark, at least, if someone says in a group, no one understands me, it's like they marginalize themselves completely from the social sphere because it's like you are diminishing the group. You're actually talking down to the group. You don't understand me. I'm something special. And in a small community like the Danish community, to state I'm something special. You don't understand me. That's like a capital fucking crime. Okay. So pretty much. Wow. No, you will never hear anyone in Denmark state publicly. No one understands me. Because what they're saying implicitly is that I'm better than you are. And if you were smart enough, you'd get it. This is like the, this is the. It's the law of the village. Mm. How okay. big a how big a population do you live in, by the way? Five million people. Okay. So so, so no one within your network should watch this podcast yes. because I haven't, I haven't shared it with anyone. <laughs> we don't want to sell your name. I just couldn't do it. Should I press the button? No. no. They think you're saying it, Thomas. They think you're don't, saying it. Don't, don't worry. We're going to share it. <laughs> yeah. We'll let everyone know. But like, but if we're, if, the, to go back to the the reality, is it true just on, on, a, on another level, if we're just yeah. speaking heart to heart, that when you go in the world and you say, people, X equals X, X does not equal X, mm-hmm. like, when you go out and share that that methodology, like how many people out of a hundred understand you? Very few. Yeah, and how very, does, very. how does that feel? I've gotten used to it, okay. Hmm. But of course, it, it would be wonderful, you know, if someone said, "I've thought about the same thing." That's exactly how I see the world. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it feels lonely. It does feel lonely and it feels like you have to continuously make the choice to stay true to this worldview. It's like because it's like a battle always sort of, you know, because everybody says, ah, and, you know, and, and, yeah, let's do something else. 
Yeah. <laughs> and 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 so so thank you for asking. But it, it does feel lonely. I can't let it go. I you can't, can't. You can't compromise. I can't compromise. I can't dismiss it. I can't accept uh, because and and when I saw the title, I thought that the the counter answer to the title would be the problem is not that nobody understands me. The problem is that everyone understands me. Okay, because what I'm saying, basically, that which changes is not there. Okay, so I think most people would agree to this statement. If something is changing, it's not itself. It's always new. It's never, it's never the same. We can't catch it. Okay, so far so good. But the problem is, if we accept this sentence, okay, we dismiss everything we've learned in schools about the possibility of measurement. Uh, because if it's not there, where am I? What am I? So I think we know, but it's just too big a mouthful to handle. For also for me, you know. So so that's why I built these linguistic systems and the tools is. But at the same time, in a world, we talked about the village before, and I think actually it's really inappropriate now that I'm thinking about it. The title is really appropriate because it points to a time when we were in a village, and in the village we could always rely on our bodily instincts. Okay, there was always immediate feedback. Okay, if I did something, I could get I would get the feedback immediately. You know, I could measure basically. The consequences of my actions, and it will always be contained in this local environment. So it's not a problem that that which changes is not there because it appears as if it is. Okay, it's it's working just fine. Okay, we don't need to bother with some other theory in the village. But what I think is that when the world becomes global, okay, the effects of our local actions are no longer contained in the village. So we get an overflow of I do something locally, and I do not know how it will return because it will be mixed with a global system. Mm -hmm. So the return of my action does no longer uh, fit with my body instinct or my instinct as a local entity. And certainly, whether we like it or not, we have to start learning from. Our innate knowledge that that which changes is not there because this will enable us to interact. Rationally, with the with the system that has global global effects. Can you give a bit of an example? Like as you're speaking, I'm seeing like a visual of you taking an action, and then there's a ripple effect so far into the world that you you can't your your brain cannot predict the impact. Exactly, you can't predict the impact. And what is and I call this and what is even strange is you can't predict the impact in the world. Okay, that's what, exactly like you said it. But what is really, really strange and difficult, also for me, really, really difficult, is to figure out if I cannot follow the ripples. Okay, how does it look when it returns? So it's like, and I'm thinking that I understand because I'm like so embedded in my body instinct, in my instinct as a local entity. So I still can't figure that. Oh, I understand what's going on right here. But it's like a lot of strange. I call it just strange effects because I don't know the moves how they look. I just Know that they must be there, and they must be express themselves somehow in the things that we are doing, in the in the processes, in the flow. So, 
There was something that I you asked a question, and we had another guest on, Josh Witten, mm. and he said something very similar to what you're saying without um, without moving into a whole theory behind it. But he said, living in cities, we don't get the feedback loop to see where our our actions have consequences. Not all that dissimilar to, to what you just shared, and yeah. he said the way that he wanted to bring that back into awareness was through composting. So what he said is composting was one of the few areas where you can be in a city, you can take food that you've just eaten, you can put it into a biomass field, uh, a thing that then, yeah. that, that then it, uh, what do we call it? Uh, decomposes. It decomposes. And then it turns into soil again. So we actually can see, what we eat turning into soil instead of throwing it into the waste bin and then having it go off into a, you know, and that was one area where he said that was a feedback loop, which he wanted people to be, to experience for themselves. That's like reproducing the village. Okay. Basically. So yeah. what we are looking at in this discussion is basically when I buy the food, there will maybe there's a plastic wrapping that comes yeah. from somewhere and, Whatever I don't I, I actually I don't know this any more than you because it's such a complex system that we are in with the effects of our actions. So basically, all we can say is that when and now okay, stay tuned now okay. When the global global effects of local actions okay exceed the local effects of local actions, we have what I call global overflow. So that when the action, the global effects of a local action, this action, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. When the effects of this action on a global level are larger than the local effects, then we enter the probability field because we don't know anymore the relationship between the external world and our instinct or in, in, in internally driven actions. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling because uh, like every time you're saying something, I, I see him and it's like, I drink coffee, I get jittery. The coffee is not fair trade. It's coming from slave labor. Because I'm jittery, I'm talking a lot. People don't understand me. So that's a, an attempt to analyze the flow, basically. Yeah. And, and yeah. No, no, please continue. I'm just playing with you. Like, like no, I, yeah. I, I, I can catch... But uh, to a point, right? You but there's only so far I can take it. Yeah, I was looking as you were speaking. I saw in my mind Nespresso getting put into a store, the paper for the Nespresso being taken from the Brazilian rainforest, the metal being taken from a Chinese, which is destroying a mountain somewhere, it being put here, basically the transport putting CO2 emissions into the air and then it getting into a store, but it has to have several other things occur before it gets there and on and on. So, but, and, but, and these are like, because we are imagining these things, okay, they are really close to known reality. Okay. So these are rather simple change of cause and effect in global reality. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so we can immediately identify them. They're recognizable. So, but what I'm basically saying is that there are, far larger and far more subtle effects that we need to learn about how to how to uh, uh, see and, and discover that are we can't detect it because our system of detection our system of measurement our basic instincts simply it's like we need an infrared side or i don't know how to do it. Yeah. you get my drift 
and I'm, sometimes I'm thinking, I thought with this show, maybe, maybe, just maybe an idea I had about something could be the reason that spirituality is, is, has been growing for the last 50 years could simply be in, in a cause and effect scenario related to this idea could simply mm. be the fact that people are like being victims of this global overflow and they just can't, the, the, the reality as a probability just stimulates, you know, the imagination to do all sorts of weird things to figure out what the fuck is going on because I don't know it, but there's something in me that understands that I can't rely completely anymore on my ruler and my calculator and my computer and my body as a, as a tool for measurement. Nice. You know, my mentor, he would always uh, repeat stories over and over again. And I'm going to be happy to say I don't believe I've told this story five times yet. So Bambos might be the first time he's heard this one. But he would always say, maybe, that the we, through our senses, we basically only need as fine a measurement as the problem that we're trying to solve. So if my hearing, if I can hear a car coming and by hearing the car coming, I can avoid getting hit by it. I don't need any finer tuning of that. I don't need finer distinctions because that's what I need to survive and thrive or whatever I need to achieve. And, and what, I, what I'm finding curious as you speak is that in order to get closer and closer to what's really going on, what we, you, you need finer tuning of your, of your sense-making, and then you can of please your, interrupt. I call it your probability instinct. Okay, of your okay. probability instinct. So let's, let's say that what we're using now is our bodily instinct, okay? Mm -hmm. This is the body instinct that we, what we do. But we need to use the probability instinct. And what I'm saying is that the probability instinct must be, this is just a theory or a hypothesis. I think it must be inherent because we are already understanding a world that is not there because it is changing. So we, there must be an instinct that is capable of processing a reality that is just potentiality or probability. It must be present in me, but just dormant to my consciousness. And this yeah. is what I have to bring forward if I want to interact rationally with a world where the global effects of local actions exceed the local effects of local actions, yeah. where there's global overflow. So. I call this probability, but it's dormant now. And, and what I'm trying to do with the card game, I know that it's just a big mouthful, but the card game is an attempt to recreate, to, it's called slow motion universe because what it does, it attempts, it's just an idea again. It's just a, it's a yeah, exactly. Well, we're plugging this, <laughs> slowmotionuniverse.com. Yeah, don't, don't plug in, so don't go to the website, but just think slow motion, think how can I slow down the universe? so that just momentarily I can experience moving from one probability that manifests itself to another probability that manifests itself, etc. in slow motion. Because right now, as we are speaking, we, we, there's like, I can't even number it. There's so many variables falling into place all the time in my consciousness that just, you know, it's impossible to grasp, understand, and analyze it from the everyday point of view. So we need to slow it down, and then we just need to slowly start to know what is it actually that I'm also doing apart from being a body in context. <sighs> yeah. 
pick it's one. Like, it's like you're living on the verge of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> My mother always worries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we does. um when when you were speaking, you know, I thought of two things that I associate you with being an artist in a way because in a way what I hear is the painting that in in my vision of you what you've created is a vision of how one can see the world that makes more sense if you can see it that way you, it, it, you it's taking more into account that's what I that's what I mean by take making more sense um and yet to hold that reality takes so much effort and energy that uh, one will probably fall back on the other uh, paradigm just because it's convenient and easy. Which is good. It's like it's, 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 we need to be in our bodies. Yeah. But we also need to be able to understand that they only represent one uh, filter of reality. Okay. So two things. One thing that I was thinking, and it's in, it's in Danish also, my apologies, so no one will understand me anyway, but but the young, my generation, okay, our generation, we have a responsibility because we have a foot in the past in the yeah. village, and we have a foot in the global society. Mm. Okay? So we are both positions. So we are like the last, just to be really epic in my statement here, we are like the last generation that actually has experienced the body world and also the, the local world and the global world, the, the, the world where the global overflow wasn't so big. And yeah. so it's actually our, and I think actually a lot of our is trying to, it's, we are trying to somehow bring together these two states, the body state and the state of the global mind. Mm. But so we need to help the next generation because the next generation, our kids, my kids, they are living, they are really going into the global state. Yeah. My, my, my boy, he's close to 13. He's living all the time he can possibly on the internet, playing games with his friends, interacting with people who speak Japanese, Japanese, whatever, you know, interacting with people from all over the world. He's living in this space. Okay. So I have hopes and I really have a hope that they will on a much uh, deeper level understand the reality of the effects their local actions create on a global scale mm -hmm. because they are so much, but we still have a responsibility to make, to, to defend, of course, the position of the body in reality, because this is where we, this is what you, you do with it. This is where we have our experiences yeah. and our emotional this is still real. It's, it's not two states that are mutually exclusive. On the, on the contrary, it's two states that are mutually inclusive. Mm. But we must become aware of our probability instinct and mm. the way it works. You know, I, when I went to take the, what you said one step further, I put on these virtual reality glasses and I had two experiences. Oh, fuck, this is incredible. And then, oh, fuck, this is scary. Because what I saw was that it allowed you to be even more detached, but feel more emerged. So you actually have the, I've separated even further out, but now I have even the feeling that I am even more so in. So that's why I'm saying 
my counter answer to the title of the show is everybody knows it already. Yeah. We, we, we know, we know it, and we don't want to know. Yeah. Because it's so difficult and because we don't have the tools. So my tools are like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like the guy who saw like in a game's the wheel, but then forgot it. And now it's like building something that, you know, that can't really go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying, he's trying to create the wheel, but he, he it's, it's so difficult to build this wheel. I yeah. like to go back. We, we discussed, you know, your participation in the early stages of the formation of uh, chaos yeah. pilots, the design. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing that I think is a challenge in any design process is when we create, we make assumptions and we build on those assumptions and make further assumptions and further assumptions and further assumptions. And, and when you go into the creative process, it's almost like you have to take away all of the things that are the assumptions you've made, starting at a wholly different place and then seeing what new can emerge. And, and yet it's hard to let go of the assumptions because you you convinced yourself you need this in order to achieve anything. So you can't be creative. You're always confined to the, the pre presuppositions that you have. So when you look at your own building of chaos pilots as you have and your new your your new your philosophical paradigm that we're now discussing like how do you see yourself help an individual break down the fact that we've just created and constructed reality i really thought about it because i think one of the things that i learned when you try to do in your show when your show is the best i think is when you help me as a listener you know, when i when some some of your guests are like saying something i think oh my god <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know and like when you look them up afterwards on the internet you know you want to know more you know because there's just this this great moment where and so i think damn it thomas how can you offer something to the listeners of this show you know is it possible and now you're asking this question and i can say the following okay i can tell a little story okay like like so the first time i realized that it was possible to let go of all assumptions was before the was way before the chaos pilots. I I had applied to the school of journalism in Denmark, okay, but they I didn't succeed in getting in, and so I was in this creative environment. I said someone said, they said why don't you just make your own school, okay, your own journalism school? You know, if they don't want you, Thomas, make it yourself. You know, it's obvious. And so I began to create this school, and I I, I was writing the papers. You know, the what we call the prospect. And one of my mentors at the time, he was called Hans Back. It's a long time. This was in the 80s. He, he, he read what I had written and he said to me, Thomas, if you change this line with that line and you shift that word with that word, how would it look? And I changed the words. And the moment I had done it, I just realized from that moment on, it would be reality. It was real. Just from shifting, such a, just a paragraph, you know, you shift it and you just have this experience. You just, now it's going to be real, it's unstoppable now, okay? So in a sense, the reason why this story is relevant to your question is because this is how you learn that assumptions about the future are only assumptions, okay? Until that moment, I had imagination. I imagined, you know, we could do this and this and this. 
But from that moment on, all the imagination was just like blown away by a new reality that was that had already happened, basically, because it could only become real. Does this answer the question? Hmm. You know, I I have a definition for vision. Hmm. And the, the, the definition is a reality lived ahead of its completion. So th- that's my mentor's definition that I've taken over yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, to yeah. make sure the licensing rights stay properly. <laughs> now, the, um, and, and, and what I see when an individual visions a reality ahead of its completion is for the first five years, they're insane. And for the next five years, everyone knew they were going to make it. Because mm. it takes people time to adjust to this new paradigm of that individual's being. And some people don't make it. That's also. Mm. Yeah. Nobody understands me. And nobody understands <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but the, the point of my slightly complicated paragraph edit build is that the entrance is linguistic. The way you can solve your pre or to assumptions is that the right word? Assum- yeah, yeah. Pre, 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 pre presumptions, assumptions. Yeah. yeah, is I don't know when you when you play football and you are like you're like the center forward and you move really fast. What do you call the moves that the, they make? You know, when they just move the ball. Tackling, you, tackling. Not tackling, not tackling. Like when they passing, the passing. Ball, Passing? Not passing, no. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, ta- let's just say tackle, okay? You have to cheat language. Because the f- when we imagine the future, it's always a linguistic uh, construct, okay? Yeah. Although it may be a, a vision that has no words, but behind that, there's always the possibility of a linguistic mix that will, you know, fulfill the, the, the and make it a, a, communi- a communicative Entity. So your ability to explore language as a mirror of what you want to do, that is where you find uh, the possibility to let go of assumption and presumptions. It's like it's a linguistic rehearsal. It's something you need to do with words yeah. because reality, of course, it's not to say it's words, is that's far-fetched, but... We cannot experience anything that cannot be deducted to some sort of linguistic expression, yeah. even though it is before words. It would all then it is just before words, you know. Then that's the so. So it's just to say that the creative power lies in your ability to give up your assumptions about how the sentences should be made. Wow. Yeah, so. I've got a lot to say on this, but I want to break for Bambos <laughs> yeah. um, because I have like five questions of Bambos now that I want to ask. You know, when I look at this, it's like you, you, you're trying to explain another paradigm using the, the language of this paradigm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so thick and so fucking heavy. Yeah. And w- when I'm with you, I just feel in your mind, it's like, it's so simple. Why doesn't anyone get it? And then I have to think of the movie... Uh, um, what was it? A beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. That's what I was thinking. You're saying, yeah. But, but we're not saying that you're schizophrenic. No. 
but it would but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> oh, had to I had to. Did you yeah, no, it's fine. I want to share something that dovetails with what you just said. Mm-hmm. So my mentor, Case de Brown, who died six years ago or so now. Is that right? Yeah. Seven. Seven years now. He was... 2014. He was fanatic around language. Mm-hmm. And he was fanatic to the point where people would be a little bit... Um, anxious to be with him because he would be very clear that your wording, how you phrase what you say is in direct connection to your relationship to that and your understanding of that. Mm -hmm. And to the point where if I wrote anything that said, I am, he would smack me on the hand very hard and say, no, you can just say, I observe this to be the case. And, and, and in your vernacular, if, as I interpret it, we talk about solidity and fluidity. He's saying, Andy, you cannot make the personal, the I am solid. So slap your hand. You can state it as a fluid state that you observe. But once you state it as solid, you preclude any possibilities. Your possibility field uh, uh, collapses. Collapses. And mm-hmm. and he used to tell me over and over again and share why he was f- f- fanatic about it. And I actually understood it. But I notice if I speak to others and share this story, they'll judge him because they'll say it's only words and they don't see or they don't make a direct connection to mm-hmm. what the implications are of the words that they're using. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only words. It's not only words. Yeah. Could you elaborate on that? I'm thinking about one of our one of the Danish heroes is uh, I don't know if you heard about Niels Bohr. He was one of the founders of uh, nuclear physics, and he discovered the atomic model. You know, he was the first one to describe the atomic model. And and he he's a physician, but also um, he's a physicist, but also a philosopher. And um, and his helpers and assistants always said the same thing. They said, it's like, it's like this. It just takes so incredibly long to write like this one-page letter. You know? Because all the words has to be right. It has to be right. Because if you don't get it right, the communicative potential of your writing is lost. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. It's not of importance. But of course, most people won't recognize. Most of the time, we just walk through life not understanding this, but when you want to be creative, yeah, it's, it, it is of importance. Yeah. So We, we have uh, Bola Long, as you remember for our last time from South Africa, states, words are living. Yeah. And he also says, in, in reference to our discussion earlier, the future doesn't exist, it emerges. Yeah. Mm, wonderful, Burla. Mm-hmm. And just to give JC a shout out, he wants to correct me. He was not criticizing me. Thank you, JC. He was just saying <laughs> he gets more info from Bambos and Bolalong than the guest at times. From Budalong. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, thank you, JC. I won't take offense then. 
<laughs> no, and neither neither will I. As, as if. <laughs> exactly. Neither will you. As if. He, he said that before he knew you were going to be coming on. <laughs> and and I doubt he looked at the name of the show. No one understands Thomas, and you're now telling him that you get more value from. He's going to respond to that. I know. Thomas, um, when we talk about the implications of words, hmm. I I've been self-inquiring myself and everything that I do in my life. And I'll take it to everything that I choose to do during the day. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I can see the implications. So it's like, oh, I want to chill out now or I want to zone out now or I want to like there's certain language that we speak to ourselves. And I even see if I if I if I go down a route where Let's say I'm really tired right now, and normally I, I'd love to meditate or do breath work, but I can't mm-hmm. even do that. I'm going to watch YouTube. It's educational. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Facebook, and it's like my, my brain is being dragged by a bunch of horses, wild horses, into a direction which is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so it's these kind of decisions and it's these these kind of words that we talk. It's like mantras almost, like a mantra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've really become aware this last time of everything that's vibrating in me and what I'm choosing mm-hmm. to to be more present with it and not just allow the, oh, it's okay now to do this. And I can see, uh, like, what's happening for you? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no one understands. No you. one understands you, Bambos. <laughs> so I'm sure we're going to get some messages from listeners that understand you, Bambos. We'll... <laughs> I would like to add to what you said, Bambos, is that in the new book, I got a new book coming out, by the way, that, that mm-hmm. I hope you'll appreciate. And I spent mm-hmm. a chapter discussing reframing. Mm-hmm. And and what I learned is I, I never learned in a course to reframe. But what I started to notice when I was coaching clients was that when they would say something, it would always be from either like what, what, what one would call a scarcity mindset or a limiting belief so or, or, or judgment. So I'd always laugh because I'll hear it in the back of my head that, oh, there's a judgment towards this. So they're framing it in the negative. And, um, and, and then I always laugh because, you know, I might lose a lot of money and feel really happy and say, wow, that was the cheapest lesson I ever had. I'll never have to learn that one again, as opposed to another person who might dread over that loss of money saying, oh, God, what have I, you know, what have I done? I'm so stupid. I'm this, I'm that. So it's, it's interesting. I noticed that the narrative that I've given things often keeps me in a state of wonder and uh and that word again curiosity and, and and happiness at the end of it as well do you get it no <laughs> that's good uh, no i i get it no no i understand of course the idea about reframing and i understand the difference between the the approach of the person who is like oh my god you know i'm stupid and the person who says oh wow that's just a new opportunity coming right at me you know it's like yeah, I failed. Yapu, you be right. But I'm thinking if I'm thinking about a story again about this thing about language and how 
if it's possible to explain how let me ask you this question okay have you ever had the experience that there's like this uh, you go into a store and you already know what's going to happen you know you're going to buy something that you buy a lot and the the person who said is so supposed to say okay thank you that will be five guilders or five whatever and then uh, you're going to say okay great thank you and then you know there's this exchange of uh, words and it's all prefabricated yeah it has to go down in a certain way okay how are you great so, yeah exactly so so this this kind of uh, exchange now have you ever experienced such an exchange go sour like you, it's it's not happening the way it should suddenly you know like the, the the other guy or the room says but you didn't ask for that or you know they're like making an unexpected intervention yeah yeah i've seen it happen of course yeah and and, and, and so what I'm thinking is that this, at this point, when this happens, okay, because they are predetermined, those interactions, they should just occur as planned, okay? What we experience then, and this is going down, go to say something crazy, that will prove to you that I am most likely schizophrenic, is actually the subatomic world protesting against the macroscopic entanglement of atoms, okay? The way, so it's like, when language falls down, in falls apart. <laughs> oh my God. Did you just touch my head? Is it? <laughs> I'm just massaging you as you're, because I don't, I don't understand a fucking word he's saying. So if you don't, if I don't understand a word he's saying, I'm assuming you're out there as well, but that's an assumption I'm making. Are you there? Yeah. Um, okay. He's saying that his parad the paradigm that he's creating, mm -hmm. these inconsistencies that might happen, which are like if you say hello and you get another reaction, is his paradigm entering into our world protesting. That's I will accept that. That's <laughs> very very simple. Hold on, hold on. I need to have Bambos repeat that to me again. So oh, just, shit, I, don't I need to slow down and have I need to do one of your I need to use your card. I need to slow. I need to slow the universe down. So say yeah. that again to me, Bamos. He's saying like, so there's a kind of norm. Like I'll norm. come and I'll say, how are you? You say, okay. okay. And the moments where those, those moments don't come out as predicted. Yeah. Someone doesn't follow social yeah. norm. It's almost as if his paradigm already exists and he's trying to penetrate our world. Uh no, no, but I think that's, thank you. No, no, I, I think I have not, that would not be my explanation, but in a way it is a true statement. What I'm saying I, is- I, I, need, I need to do the five-year-old thing. No, but that's really cool. No, no, because I, I, I haven't thought about it like this myself. Mm. So I just, let me, let me reframe, <laughs> let me re, <laughs> let me. So the idea is that this proves that language is holding the whole thing together, but that on, a, on another level, there's a complexity that also has a nature and a system that must be followed. And if we do something on a microscopic level hmm. that is somehow not in accordance with this system, it will object and language will fall apart. And this is interesting because this proves to us that language is a construct that we're using to maintain 
the effect of the of the bodily instinct okay or the 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 yeah the working of the bodily instinct this is what the language helps us uh, sustain okay but when this uh, the, the subatomic complexity yeah it's as i do thank you no it's i think it's great it's, it's just i've had these experiences and i think they are so and it's so strange you know why would this particular exchange of words that is so solid why would it fall apart the only possible reason i can think of is because there's something about the atomic structure of macro reality that can't happen it simply can't occur so language is just destroyed right there in the photo store or in the kiosk or on the when you're buying like the fucking railway ticket right there you know this other person and you cannot be close like this in this context and so communication is just abruptly brought to a halt mm. and this no. is how we know that as bambu said that there is actually another reality that that will influence us so i think bambu's palms up Thank you for translating, Bamba. <laughs> One person understands you now. Um, I, I had. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. What? I'm pretending. <laughs> um, <laughs> the it reminds me of the well-known story of when the um, I think you call them the pilgrims. They came. To- Andy, give me a second. What's going on for you? It feel it almost feels like you're exhausted. Yeah, but I'm, it's so it's like it's so important, no? And 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 I'm speaking in English, okay, which is not my mother tongue, and I'm talking about the necessity of a specific linguistic exchange, and I'm not capable of performing my own ideal in this language. But that's can be the lesson. Hey, we need to start cooking, may I say? Well, we will not end what I talked about, but I will be able to explain it so precisely. <laughs> I think I understood that better, actually, Bambo. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. Thomas, do you ever step out of this reality? Like mm-hmm. step out and kind of relax into yourself, yeah. take a load off, and then kind of yeah. try to look at it from another angle without without getting involved in it? And when you do that, do you get any discoveries? about yourself or about the I, I don't know what to call this paradigm that you're it's a good question that's a that's a great question it's i think i if i said i just stepped out i think i would be lying actually it's more like i give up like if you think about the the beginning of the show and the whole thing about what it's like it's more like at one point just i look at it and i think Before this show, I actually read my own web page just to know to get in shape. <laughs> and I'm thinking it it was like it was written by something. And I thought, what an incredible person who wrote this. <laughs> I don't get it really. It's so complex, man. Who did this and why? <laughs> so sometimes I just. I, I one time I just packed everything in boxes and put it away. Mm. What did your wife say? Are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Mm. But so this is what I do. Sometimes I'm just I'm just putting. I, I 
I even think about burning everything, but then I think that would be stupid. So I'm not doing mm. that. But so it's more like I can't step out of it, but I can like a an addict, you know, I can I can go to a program for some time, you know, and get detox. But the moment I'm out of the program, you know, that addiction will, you know, I'll go for the for the for the drug again. Yeah. I think. So no, there's no way out. It's 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 like let me let me just let me just get the book, okay? Just a moment. There's um you know when Thomas laughs. Yeah. It's almost like it's so uncomfortable mm. in that space that I need to find a way to celebrate it or at least release the, mm. the tension. And and I love his laugh, by the way. Mm. It's like the mad professor. <laughs> I have a copy too. <laughs> okay. So let me read the last page, which is page number 1031. Is, <laughs> is it is it numbered in our uh, language? Yeah, it's numbered in everybody's language. So the numbers are on the right-hand pages. So the very last page, just before the... Yeah, the very last page, exactly. Mm -hmm. Should I read it aloud? Please. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> I have reverse engineered the universe in order to create the foundation for new science and nulling approximation and as such a science being in complete compliance with itself as the universe. And I have created the basic structure for the DNA, the seed of the organic educational processes, universities in which this new science will unfold. I know and understand that most of you have to walk together to survive and that relationships, the ability to give love and receive love unconditionally are central to human life. But if you find yourself in the position of being someone who, for whatever reason, feels called beyond duty to challenge, prove wrong and replace irrefutably and irreversibly by logic, the very pillars of your own civilization, because you have discovered that mathematics are flawed, flawed as a representational system, you cannot walk among your contemporaries as an equal. And you cannot use the language of mathematics to prove your point. You literally have to reinvent the universe in its totality if you want to show that science is based on the idealistic assumptions about the power of self-referential, self-confirming and closed abstract systems, mathematics, rather than the facts mirrored by the basic properties of change experience itself. To see the world, you must leave the world. It is as simple as that. There is a high probability that I have failed. There is a small probability that I have succeeded. Having tried, however, leaves no compromise. There can be only absolute failure or absolute success. It is either or. It is life at its peak. I am Thomas Heide the man from outside of time who believed at heart that he had showed that the universe can be reduced to the equation of change experience and that this equation is a seed for a new science and that this new science can be mediated effectively in auditorium shaped in the form of a web of the world has changed. This is my story. Mm. Talk about the Big Bang Theory. Wow. Beautiful. Can we just interestingly instead of making that the first page of your book it's the last page why wouldn't yeah. that have been the first page 
because the story starts with the beginning, which is the last page. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to read the book backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're reinventing the paradigm in the reading of the book. I love it. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh uh, yeah. Thank you. Hmm. It was nice to read that that little thing. Yeah. I was hoping to get you by the end of this show, but the the one thing is I love you. Mm. <laughs> but don't send me the book. Yes. <laughs> if you if you don't mind, I'll give him my copy of the book. So he can he can give it back to me when he's done. Yeah. When you spoke earlier, I was um, I thought about an uh, interesting story. There's a few of these stories uh, that have a similar nature to them. The one is of the in North Korea. The word love has one association, and it's love of leader. So mm-hmm. if there's a married couple, the word mm-hmm. love is not used in that context. Oh. So the meaning of the word love is always associated to the supreme leader. Yeah, yeah. Which is fascinating because we have this common consensus in general of what the word love means, but it points again to what you mentioned. Linguistically, if you don't have a reference for that or the reference has been culturally indoctrinated, then you basically have a different association than another place that has Mm. a different association. So what do couples say? Well, I don't have any idea. I haven't interviewed anyone from North Korea, but I just heard that story as a narrative. And the other one that I've heard recently, and I've heard it often, was the story of the uh, colonists that originally came to the North America. And when they arrived, the indigenous population was looking over the horizon and these boats were coming towards them. Mm. But since they had never seen a boat before, didn't have a reference for that thing they didn't actually see it. Yeah, the brain couldn't see it. So the brain didn't see it because in their vernacular of things that could exist, it didn't exist. Exactly. So it, it speaks again to your, um, your, your supposition and that if our vernacular doesn't have a word to describe or our, our vision doesn't have a, a, a context to put a thing, then it can be that we don't even see its existence, even if it's right there. And, and, and just to support that is that, so this requires a new language. So this is also a part of the work as this kind of philosopher, okay, is that you need to invent strings of new words so that you can as a recreate the context so that it doesn't affirm or just, you know, solidify what's already there. Yeah. So all the new words, if you, if you, you can hear like the, the different uh, things, it's like words that open up to new reality. So it's expanding. The potentiality of our imagination. Yeah. So it's an important part of the work is to figure out what do you call these things so that it at one point at the same time is something known, an equation, okay, for instance. But at the other hand, it's also something new of change experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's that? So it's an equation of change that's etc. etc. Map of the world, yes, we know that, but map of the world as change. That's a new one. Yeah. I can't just figure how how does that one look, okay? So so these are linguistic uh, tables or 
Mm. Yeah. And just to follow one linguistic thing that I, I was going to yeah. do a show on a topic that I just, I would drive Bombos crazy if we did this topic. But again, my mentor used to use double negatives in order to show how the mind is when it's free. Please illustrate. So if I say it's not that it's not going to happen. Ah. It's not that he is a jerk. It's not that mm. he's not a jerk. Mm. Basically, what he was trying to elaborate is it's a very much pointing in more non-dual thinking is that we look at the world as in binary. It's either this or it's that. And what he tried to point out through using the double negative was that it is, a, it's not that I'm saying it's not that. So it's, in a, both it's both and. and. And let me just, and this is one of the great challenges moving from the paradigm of 20th century mathematics and into this new paradigm is that in quantum physics, they have this idea about mutual exclusivity, okay? Yeah. You, can't, you can't measure both position and speed at the same time. Yeah. So in order to understand the quantum realm, okay, you need to make these probability matrices that will help you predict uh, the other state, basically. So the more precise you measure the position, the less precise is the speed and vice versa, okay? So this idea about, and it's also the body-mind, uh, exclusivity, you know, that the mind is different from the body, okay? So there's really, really deep culturally uh, uh, embedded in us is the idea that certain things are mutually exclusive, okay? So we can either be in our bodies or in our minds, okay? We can either be measure the speed or the position, okay? And this is really a, this is a, a very complicated inheritance we, we carry with us in our backpacks when we have to actually become simultaneously local and global entities because they are mutually inclusive. Yeah. Okay. So there's like a fundamental intellectual and instinctual struggle that must be overcome regarding the concept of mutual exclusivity. Yeah. It, yeah. So, yeah, that was very much the reason why he was using it was for the very reason you're pointing at. Exactly. Is that this binary way of looking at the world was always what the mind is trying to get to so that it has control. And then and letting go of that, like our first company was named Not the Carrot. And, uh, and, and, and he called it Not the Carrot. And then, of course, everyone says, okay, so it's a stick. <laughs> And it's like, no, it's just not exactly. to care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and, and again, it points to what we discussed. The words we use create a space in the mind. And if you use certain words, you prime your mind to have certain thoughts. I, you know, I certainly see and experience that yeah. in myself. Yeah. So if you, re if you create new words, your brain doesn't have reference. Yeah. Nothing and, to hold on to. And actually. I noticed that the brain has a really hard time not having reference because in that non-reference space, we don't yeah. feel like we have control. And there, we're, so we're struggling against structure and flexibility, structure and flexibility. So that's, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's what you're pointing at, actually, with solidity and fluidity in my vernacular. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Thomas. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow on... A wonderful... Okay, uh... <laughs>
It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.